All right, let's go ahead and grab a seat and we will get started this morning. Uh, it's great to be with you again. My name is Matt. For those of you who I haven't met, we are continuing in our series through the Gospel of John. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me in your Bibles to John 16, verse 16, and we'll pick up there in a moment. If you're joining us for the first time, we are working our way verse by verse through uh, the entire Gospel of John, and we're currently in this section, which is chap uh, a section of five chapters, 13 through 17, uh, runs as sort of one long discourse, one long conversation, or, or perhaps series of conversations that Jesus is having with his disciples on the night uh, before he's crucified. So this is his last night with them uh, and the journey that they've been on together. And these are his uh, final instructions to them. He's preparing his disciples for his impending arrest and execution. Uh, this is what he uh, says. We're going to be picking up in chapter 16, verse 16. And I'll have uh, Leah read the verses for us. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of the disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant? When I said, in a little while, you will see me no more, and then after a little while, you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when the baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Amen to that. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day you will not, no longer ask me. Very truly I tell you, your Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you the questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe? Jesus replied, A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Thanks, Leah. Let's pray. 
Jesus, we turn our eyes to you now uh, in the midst of a world that is full of brokenness and pain and anguish. And we can easily look out upon the world or even within our own hearts. And we can say with confidence now, things are not the way they're supposed to be. Uh, and, and yet, here you are meeting with us, uh, leading us, guiding us, blessing us right in the middle uh, of this age, of this tension, of this time. Would you uh, come as the Good Shepherd? Would you speak to each heart this morning? And would you show us what it looks like to navigate this world as it actually is? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the 30-some years that I have been alive, uh, by far the best day of my life was my wedding day. Uh, the anticipation uh, surrounding that day, the waiting, the longing, uh, the, the build-up, the excitement, the atmosphere, uh, the covenant that my wife and I made, uh, the fact that my wife actually wanted to marry me, uh, all the people that we loved and valued from around the city that we lived in, but also other states and places and even other countries had come to be with us and to celebrate uh, with us on that day. It was, for me, an unforgettable, uh, surreal, sort of uh, magical day. Uh, I don't think I will ever again in this life feel that same mix of emotions and excitement and beauty and nerves and holiness and adventure all in one place in one time. It was the best. And when I look back and reflect on that day, I don't think it could have gone any better. Uh, the ceremony, the food, the laughter, the dancing, there was such an overwhelming sense uh, of joy and celebration. We were on top of the world. It couldn't have been any better. But here's the interesting thing. Even in the midst of that, on that moment, on that day, when things were as good as they could possibly be, there was still lingering in the background, a sense of sadness. Even on the best day, it was not the pure and unfiltered joy that we will experience in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, there was still an awareness somewhere beneath it all of the fallen world that we live in of the imperfection that we endure, of the uh, nostalgia of it all. Uh, there was an almost sweet sense of sadness, nearly imperceptible behind everything else, but there nonetheless. Uh, a sense of sadness that seems to surround and touch everything in this life, that never truly goes away. But the reverse is also true. 
if I were to rewind a few years before my wedding day, uh, before I'd even met uh, the woman who is now my wife, I can think back to my darkest hours, uh, to my darkest days, which for me was a period of really intense anxiety and depression. Uh, But even in that season, in my darkest season, there was still a strange mix of emotions. It was not pure and unfiltered grief. During that season, which for me lasted about a year and a half, uh, the world was worse than I ever thought it could be. In my understanding, there was a range of human experience and a range of human emotions. And over the course of time, uh, I had this increasing anxiety and almost like panic attacks that just got more and more frequent and more and more intense until I began to sink into this depression. This like heaviness and depression settled over my life and I began to get lower and lower and lower and lower until I came to a place that for me was outside of what I thought was even the range of human emotion. I I literally didn't know a human being could feel that down, could feel that um, terrorized within my soul, that that sense of of agony that wouldn't go away, uh, mixed with sort of a, a numbness, but a panic and an anxiety at the same time. I didn't know a human being could feel that bad. And yet, uh, there I was uh, for months and almost years. Uh, and eventually, I sank to a place where I was actually suicidal in my thinking. Uh, life had become so empty and so bitter and so numb that I did not want to be alive anymore. And yet even in that place, even as I was in the pit of hell, there was this thread of hope. It was not pure and unfiltered grief. It was not 100% darkness. There, somehow beneath it all, there was these uh, moments uh, of unexpected joy. There were these brief moments when sort of the fog and heaviness would lift, and I would sense a little something of the goodness of God before the veil fell and that heaviness settled again. Uh, There was some vague sense of hope, uh, almost imperceptible, in the background that undergirded my experience and kept me alive. It was never pure darkness. Underneath everything, there was an unbreakable thread of light at the same time. And these are the extremes of my very best day and my worst days. But I'm sharing them to illustrate something that I think is true of all of our days. In this life, we will always experience a mix of beauty and sorrow, of grief and joy. And I would say that we rarely experience one without the other, 
But I think I can actually go further than that and say that we never experience either of them in their fullness and purity. That everything in this life is a mix of grief and joy. Henry Nouwen, uh, one of my favorite sort of devotional writers on the spiritual life and an absolute genius, uh, says it this way. This is a long quote, but it's worth it. He says, Our life is a short time in expectation, a time in which sadness and joy kiss each other at every moment. There is a quality of sadness that pervades all the moments of our life. It seems that there's no such thing as clear-cut, pure joy, but that even in the most happy moments of our existence, we sense a tinge of sadness. In every satisfaction, there is an awareness of its limitations. In every success, there is a fear of jealousy. Behind every smile, there is a tear. In every embrace, there is loneliness. In every friendship, distance. And in all forms of light, there is a knowledge of the surrounding darkness. Joy and sadness are as close to each other as the splendid leaves of a fall day to the soberness of the barren winter. When you touch the hand of a returning friend, you already know that he will have to leave you again. When you are moved by the quiet vastness of the sun-covered ocean, you miss a friend who cannot see the same. Behind every smile there is a tear. In every embrace there is loneliness. In every friendship, distance. Joy and sadness are born at the same time, both arising from such deep places in your heart that you can't find the words to capture your complex emotions. Welcome to life in a fallen world. Life in this age. It's the sweet tinge of sadness on the pure joy of a wedding day. It's the realization that every satisfaction is temporary and often followed by dissatisfaction. It's the reality that every milestone, every degree, every graduation, every promotion, every accomplishment comes with it the sad realization uh, that this is not it. That the milestone you achieved or the stuff you accumulated did not fix the world. In fact, did not even fix your world. But, but in fact, the journey continues. Carl Rayner says it this way. He says, In the torment of the insufficiency of everything attainable, we learn that ultimately in this world there is no finished symphony. That is true of our accomplishments. It's true of our relationships. It's true of every moment that we live. Everything in this life is in some sense incomplete and is found in the interplay between grief and joy. Jesus says to His disciples in the verses we read this morning, He says, In a little while you will see Me no more, 
and then after a little while you will see me. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Isn't it interesting that the disciples are witnessing the most important events in all of human history, and yet in the midst of it, they're caught in this same tension. They are right there in this mix of grief and joy. I'm going away. I'm going to be crucified. You're going to feel overwhelming grief with a hint of joy or hope. And then I'm I'm going to be resurrected from the dead. I'm going to return to you and it's going to swing the other way. You're going to feel overwhelming joy with a tinge of grief. He's preparing them for, for this tension that we live in. And this is exactly what happens. Jesus is arrested in the in the chapters that are yet to come that we're going to read in the coming months. He's arrested. He's crucified. He's buried. The disciples are filled with grief. But then lo and behold, the impossible happens. Jesus steps out of the grave. uh, Steps out of that eternal place where He's dwelling with the Father and back into uh, the visible realm of reality. And there He is once again in a resurrected body before His disciples. The first person that he appears to uh, after conquering the grave is Mary Magdalene. And if you know the story of this encounter, uh, Mary is so grieved. Talk about grief. She's so grieved that she can't even recognize that it's him. She doesn't even know who's standing there through the tears and the grief and the pain. And, And then all of a sudden she recognizes and something clicks. A a a metaphorical bomb goes off in Mary's mind and she realizes what's happening. Oh my goodness, this is Jesus standing before me. He's back from the dead in flesh and blood standing before me. And the implications of this moment are astounding. Mary's uh, grief, which was, was weighing down her entire existence, in this moment her grief is obliterated. This mountain of grief is just lifted off of her shoulders and thrown into the sea. And, and as, she, as she realizes the implications of what she's seeing, this invincible joy is born in her heart. And right, oh my gosh, he, he was telling the truth. Like Jesus is God. He's back from the dead. He's conquered death. There's this joy that rises up that no one can take away from her. But what does Mary do in that moment? I find this really interesting. She actually clings to Jesus. The the Scripture says she clings to Him so hard that He actually tells her, Mary, don't cling to Me so tightly. Isn't that interesting? Now she has all the joy, but we're told that she clings to Jesus. She grabs onto Him. She doesn't want to let go. Because even as you touch the hands of a returning friend, you know they'll have to leave you again. 
right there in the midst of that invincible joy, there's also grief and longing and sadness. And she knows there will be separation again. She's the first person in history to touch those resurrected hands. But she knows it's, it's for a moment. She knows intuitively this isn't going to last. He's going to leave again. So you see in that example, this joy swells in her heart. This is her best day. This is her best moment. And yet even in the midst of that, when she's on top of the world, still there's this hint of grief. Her, her heart is bursting with joy as she senses both the beauty and the sadness of the reality that we live in. And this is where we find ourselves, just like Mary, as disciples of Jesus who have uh, encountered or come to know our resurrected Lord, who are now faced with this reality. We now have to navigate the world of sorrow and joy. So what do we do with that? What do we do with this unfinished symphony? Uh, What do we do with the torment of the insufficiency of this world? Uh, What do we do with the sadness that is sometimes subtle and sweet and in the background and, and sometimes is dominating the reality of our lives? What do we do with those things as followers of Jesus? A few thoughts as we close. The first is that we accept that in this age, we must live in the tension. In the verses we read this morning, Jesus tells His disciples, He says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You can't sum it up any better than that. If you reject that reality, as many people are tempted to do, if you just say, no, 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 I, I, don't, I don't like that. I don't want to accept that. I don't believe that. I think that in this life, I will not have trouble. And I can find a way to avoid the pain of reality we actually set ourselves up for failure. If we cannot accept that we were born in this tension, and and unless and until Jesus returns, we will die in this tension, then we actually put ourselves in a very difficult position. Uh, We actually begin to grind against reality as it actually is. This is the dark side of the American dream where we think, I'm going to design a life where I can avoid every form of legitimate pain and suffering. I can create a world in which I will not have trouble. I, I can distract myself from the pain. I can numb myself to the pain. There are many ways to do that. I, I can run 
from any negative emotion of difficulty or pain or grief or sadness. I'm going to suppress those things. I'm going to run from those things. I'm going to distract myself, numb myself, self-medicate, buy insurance for every possible thing that could go wrong, insulate myself from all risk, do whatever I can to try to design a sick version of the American dream in which we will not have trouble. There's entire sectors of our economy that, that thrive off of this mentality. But here's the problem. In this life, you will have trouble. And it doesn't matter how much you numb yourself or how much you run or how much insurance you buy or how much you withdraw from any form of risk. You will have trouble. Sooner or later, no matter how many walls you try to erect, legitimate pain and suffering and grief will break through those walls and rudely interrupt your American dream. And, and then you are forced with how, to decide how you're going to respond. How do I respond to that? Do I react with bitterness and anger against God and others? Do, do I continue to run further and numb myself and distract myself? I, I, just need, I just need a stronger narcotic. I just need better distractions. I just need to withdraw even more from the world. Or do you go the other way? Do you accept that this is part of the reality that we live in? You can spend your whole life trying to run from this thing Jesus is talking about. The alternative is that you accept this reality. You say, all right, Jesus, I'm going to receive that. I'm going to accept the fact that this is how the world works. I wish it didn't. Some part of me wars against it, wants to reject it, longs for the garden, but we are not in the garden. We are not in the fullness of the kingdom of heaven. So we have to accept what Jesus is talking about. Grief and joy. Kissing one another. Touching every moment. Jesus says you will have trouble. You have to accept that half. And take heart. For I have overcome the world. The one who conquered death that morning now stands in solidarity with you. If you've given your life to Jesus, His presence is with you. His Spirit is inside of you. In the face of all the messed up and broken stuff in the world, you, you can look within and around and above and say, well, the one who has overcome the world is actually with me. The, the glory of Christ now resides within you. And as a result, there's a whole new way of life that's now available to us. We don't have to take that sick version of the American dream. We don't have to insulate and run. Jesus says, no, no, no. Let me guide you through that. And, and you could not imagine or make up in your mind a better guide for our reality than Jesus of Nazareth. You could try and invent something. You cannot invent someone better than Jesus. 
The scriptures say that Jesus was a man afflicted with suffering, with pain, with grief, with oppression. He, he, He was an afflicted man, familiar with suffering, born, forged in the fiery furnace of pain. No one has suffered the way that Jesus has suffered. No one has ever had another person's sin laid on them and suffered for it, let alone the sin of the world. No one has has borne the type of suffering that he has suffered. And yet in the same moment, the Scriptures also tell us that Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy. Which is a biblical way of saying he was the most joyful person who ever lived. Search the pages of history. You will find no one more settled, more peaceful, more full of joy than Jesus was. Right there. In the same moment, in the same person, in the same package. All the grief, all the pain, and all of the joy. And and that's the one who comes to you. That's the one whose, whose glory then resides in you. That's the guide who comes alongside and says, let me show you how to navigate this world of grief and joy. No one is better qualified than Him. And so rather than rejecting reality as it actually exists, or running from it, or becoming bitter with ourselves or with God because of it, instead, as disciples of Jesus, we come to Him and we just say, Jesus, help me to accept reality as it actually is. To receive that. To to not live in a false version of it. And and Lord, would you help me navigate reality as it actually is. All of these moments of oscillating grief and joy, pain and sorrow and hope all right there to get. Holy Spirit, would you fill me and guide me through these moments? Would you be my strength in the midst of of what so often feels like weakness. So first we accept uh, the tension and we ask ask Jesus to guide us through that tension. Right? I'm not going to make up a false version of reality. No, I'm going to ask you to lead me, teach me how to shoulder this reality in, in a way that's actually fitting and right and filled with joy. And finally, as we close, uh, we allow the grief, the pain, the insufficiency of this life uh, to point us forward to the age that is yet to come. We don't just sit in our pain or have some morbid obsession with it. We actually allow it to point us forward to what lies on the horizon. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. And that describes this age, by the way. She has grief because her time has come. But when her baby is born, in the age to come, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child has been born into the world. He says, so it is with you. Now, is your time of grief, 
but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. And, and I want you to notice that what Jesus is talking about is true of the disciples' immediate experience. Imagine you're having dinner with him. He's about to be arrested. He's going to be crucified. And in, the, in, in sight of his crucifixion, the disciples are in a deep place of grief. Within a few days, Jesus is back from the dead. They're face to face with their resurrected Lord. Hope wells up in them. And nobody can take away that hope. There, there is no form of difficulty. There is no form of oppression. Go and look at the lives of the disciples. They go from grieving and despondent to laying down their lives. Every one of them is, is imprisoned and beaten and, and martyred. They go willingly to their deaths with joy in their hearts, confident. They have this invincible joy, this invincible hope within them. So what Jesus is describing is true of their immediate experience, of their days and their weeks and their months that are going to follow these words. They're going to, have, they're going to be grieving while the world rejoices because Jesus is dead. And then it's going to reverse and they're going to, have, they're going to be full of joy and nobody can take that joy from them. Nobody can strip it from them. That was true. You and I have that same joy. You and I have that same invincible hope that we carry in this life. But I also want you to see the way in which Jesus' words speak to the age in which we live. In fact, Scripture describes our entire age as birth pains. Leading up to something that is yet to come. So these words also describe the age in which we live and the age that is to come. We weep and mourn now in this life, but our grief will turn to joy. When that baby is born, when that new age arrives, oh man. Ladies, many of you in this room have given birth. I think you, you have a unique appreciation or insight into this that many of the rest of us don't have. Some of you just have to think back like a few months to when you experienced this firsthand. There's all of this pain and this anguish. And for some of you, it just feels like it's going to go on forever. This will never end. But then the baby's born. And in that moment, everything changes. Everything shifts. All of that pain and difficulty begins to evaporate and fade away. <laughs> Scripture says that's it. That, that's, you're in the midst of the birthing pains. But when that new life breaks forth in the age to come, uh, Scripture says you, you won't even remember the former things, nor will they be brought to mind. All of the pain and anguish and imperfection of this world will fade away. This is why Paul says, I, I consider that our current sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Right now that suffering feels so real. And, and so dominating of our existence. And, and, and Paul says, no, no, no. If you were able to weigh those, it's, it's like putting a thousand pounds on one side and a single ounce on the other. It's like, what are we even doing here? Why would we even waste time putting that on a scale? It's incomparable 
So in this life, we carry this invincible hope that cannot be stripped from us, that no circumstance or plague or famine or or oppression, nothing can take that hope from you. But as you carry it into the age to come, it's going to break loose into full and unfiltered joy. In that day, every ounce of your grief will turn to joy and, and nobody, nothing will be left to threaten that joy. Even that, that hint, that tinge of sadness that rests in the background of our existence will be lifted and done away with. It will be pure and unfiltered joy. So what do we do between now and then? Scripture says we wait patiently for it. We have a sense of hope. We have a sense of of expectation. But, But this is the age of grief. Now is your time to grieve. And, and, and suffer and be patient in that suffering. The, the, word, the word patience literally means long-suffering. Isn't it interesting? Love is, first of all, patient. It is long-suffering. So with hope, with joy, with patience, we, we are long-suffering. And we allow the suffering and the pain and the insufficiency and and the wrongness of this life to point us forward to a day that is yet to come. Uh, When you feel the pains of childbirth, the groaning of creation within you, the Scripture says you look to the horizon and you remember what that's for. You're not in child in the lab, the pains of, of childbirth for no reason. It's, it's building towards something. So if you're laboring and, and you're feeling the weight of that pain, you allow it to lift your eyes, to look to the horizon, to remember, in a sense, uh, the baby that's coming. If you don't have labor pains, you don't get the baby. One comes before the other. So we allow our weeping and our wailing and the imperfection and the grieving of this life to consistently uh, purify us and prepare us for that day. When, our gr- when every ounce of our grief will give way to joy and no one will take that joy from us. We look forward to the day when pain will no longer be a thing it will not be within the realm of possibility. Jesus says, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again face to face. You will see Him. And you will rejoice and no one will take away that joy. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that You would come in Your Holy Spirit and that You would minister to us. I pray that Your presence would be even more tangible now 
in the room as we turn our, our hope, our longing, our bitterness, our grief, our, the, the crazy mix of desires and emotions in every human heart. As we turn the, the sort of mess of who we are toward your beauty and your perfection and your grace, we, we invite you, Lord, to come and sort out the mess uh, of, of the human heart. The conflicting desires within us. And Lord, I, I want to start by praying for those who uh, reject the tension, who uh, long to avoid every form of negative emotion, any sense of pain, any sense of grief, often uh, our longing for the garden, our longing for the kingdom of heaven is twisted by the enemy into this dark version of the American dream in which we live at odds with reality and we're actually primed for addiction. Addiction of every kind. Because we're desperate for something to uh, numb the pain that we're so eager to avoid. And so, Lord, I I pray for those who um, maybe are wrestling with addiction, uh, for those who in big ways and in small ways are are running from rejecting the pain of this world, uh, attempting to uh, form a, a false world in which there will be no trouble. Lord, would you come in your grace and, and um, minister to our hearts? Would you come in your grace and just sort of lift that burden? That's actually a really heavy burden to carry. If your goal is, is to never experience sorrow or grief or pain, uh, you will actually live a very tense, very difficult life. And so Jesus, would you come and, and, and speak to the hearts in the room that are wrestling with that, begin lifting that burden from them. And Lord, we also pray for those who maybe are on the other end of the spectrum, whose lives are filled with pain and maybe have been for years, uh, who have experienced decades of brokenness and who, who still only see uh, sort of the darkness, whose lives are so um, dominated by a sense of grief right now uh, that the word joy just feels like it's a million miles away. No, that's not available to me. That's not part of my experience. Or to those who are uh, grieving and sad and laboring under the weight of this world, we pray that you would come in your grace and, and show them, show us, where joy can be found. Right here. Right now. In the midst of broken circumstances, in the midst of, uh, in the midst of things that we, we simply wish were not so. We're crying out with those martyrs who are pictured in Revelation and just saying, how long, Lord? How long are, are, are we going to endure this age and all of its brokenness and all of its, God, who can, 
Who can shoulder this? Who can bear it? How long till you come and end the age and start the next one? And Lord, Lord, for those who are here this morning, and that's the cry of their hearts, they're, they're more aware of the brokenness of the world than any wholeness in you. I pray that you would come and, and begin giving them a peace and a joy in defiance of their circumstances. Regardless of things change, regardless of whether or not that injustice is ever righted, regardless of whether or not that wound is ever healed, regardless of whether or not that diagnosis is ever reversed, it, regardless of any of the Lord, joy and peace, you showed us, you demonstrated for us that in you, in the power of the Spirit, we can have both. But we can have an indestructible hope, a counterintuitive joy, a peace that the world knows nothing about in the midst of our grieving, in the midst of our mourning. So Lord, would you um, come and minister to, to both of those hearts, to both of those situations, uh, and to all of us who are in between, who, who don't even necessarily know where we fall or what to think. Lord, would you come as the suffering servant, as the, as the grieved one, and as the one who is full of joy, and come and meet with us. It is hard to be human, and you know that. It is difficult to navigate the tension of this world, and you know that. But you also know how to lead us through in a way that's beautiful and puts your glory on display. So would you come? Would you touch? Would you heal? And above everything, Lord, would our eyes be set on the horizon? Would we know, would every person in this room who's given their lives to Jesus know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we will see you again face to face, that all of our grief will give way to joy, that joy will win and come to dominate the age that is yet to come, and no one and nothing will be able to threaten the wholeness and joy that will break loose at, at that wedding feast of the Lamb, at the inauguration of the age to come. Help us to live this moment, this life, in light of that one. In Jesus' name, amen.